June 16, 2019. With games against the Phillies and Braves this week, the Nats need to go 5-2, and, and they're going to need Patrick Corbin to help them get there. Plus, a message from the Dinger Ball era. And are soft tossers coming back in vogue? From Bethesda, Maryland, this is the Rashcast with Jake and John. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Rashcast with Jake and John. I'm Jake. And I'm Johnny. Sorry about uh, taking last week off. We had a little family emergency, but we're back here. It's week 17, or uh, podcast number 17. The date is June 16th. It's Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to any fathers who are listeners. Yes. Uh, so we went to the game today uh, with our with our father. Uh, we did. He uh, decided to bring some tuna to the game which we thought was a little interesting yes uh, but it was a good game regardless of that uh nats won 15 to 5 uh don't worry he didn't eat the tuna no he did people. not yes. it, it would have been a little gross um but yeah nats won 15 5 adams two homers seven rbi animal sanchez looked good again uh he's looked great his last four starts coming off the il that's right uh the nats have gone three and three this week and uh you know you would have ideally liked with this week, they had two bullpen games. They went one and one in those bullpen games, as in they were facing two bullpen games. Uh, you would have liked to have won pretty much every game, but the the Granky game. Yeah. Uh, but three and three is okay. They treaded water. Uh, they they really do need to go seven and four on this homestand with the the Phillies and the Braves coming up since they went two and two. That means they got to go five and two against the Phillies and the Braves. Yeah. This is a really big week for us, uh, make or break week. Uh, yeah. If the Nats want to get back into this, you got to take you know at least three, hopefully from the Phillies. You can't really split this if you three want three from the Phillies and two from the Braves has mm-hmm. to be the target. You have to make up ground, and splitting with the Phillies doesn't make up ground. Um, three and- of four puts you four back of the Phillies, which with. Over a season to go, or over half a season to go, is makeable, make upable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say that you know, you've got, within the, at least in the Philly series, you've got your horses going. You've got Scherzer and Strasburg. Uh, you got to win those two games, and you got to find a way to win one of the next two. Yeah, uh, which I- which means getting better work from Patrick Corbin. Yeah. So I mean, Corbin, his last time out. Was not good again. Uh, his last couple starts. Three had, of his last four, he's been really bad. Yeah. Um, and it's worrisome. Um, he's not getting the swings and misses he was. But that it all comes with Corbin, the way he's been pitching. It all comes off of fastball command. Yeah. Uh, it's it's That's in the issue. Because what's happened is you know, people spit on the fastball, and then the slider's not getting the misses that it should. Right. He's, uh, a, he's essentially a two-pitch pitcher. And as a starter, if one of those two pitches isn't working, you're not going to get outs. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, fastball velocity has been fine. Uh, obviously, the big question with Corbin is, was he overworked early in the season? Uh, he threw 118 pitches in six innings against the Phillies uh, in May. He also threw an 116-pitch shutout where he went back out for the ninth at 103. Uh, and, you know, he's not a pitcher, unlike Max Scherzer, who has shown that he can handle that kind of pitch load in his career. Uh, I think you can look at 
you know, the way he's been struggling with fastball command, you can say uh, exhaustion might have something to do with it, or it might not. I mean, obviously, those are the two options. So yeah. that's not really definitive. But uh, what I'm trying to say is that with struggles of the kind that he's been having, uh, it could easily point to overwork or, you know, I guess we'll find out. If he has a couple good outings in a row, you put this stretch past you, and uh, you know it's it's not such a big deal. But again, he's here for six years, so you prefer that you don't wear him down in the second month of the first one. Yeah, I think yeah. So he's starting tomorrow against Arietta. Um, big game. I mean, yeah, it's a big week. Every game's big. But if you can take out that first game, you got Fetty going in one of the games, um, then. Right, it, it really changes the course of the series because you have Strasburg, Scherzer. Hopefully, you can take those both games. Right, you need to steal one of the next two. Yeah. Um, what day is Nola going this week? I think Wednesday. Let me check. Yeah, so that'd be Nola versus Scherzer. Um, Nola has not been. No, no, no. no. I, I, Nola pitched Saturday, so that'd be he'll, he'll be going Thursday. Thursday against Strasburg. Okay. Yeah, so Nola's going this week. He has not been as good as he had been um, last year. No, his ERA is up over four or five. Yeah, and the Phillies are coming into this, you know, looking pretty bad. Uh, they just lost three or four to the Braves. Uh, uh, I mean, it's it's hard to judge because the Braves have just looked so unbeatable. I yeah, mean, this they is... literally were. They won eight in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, but even before that, you know, they've been kind of scuffling, and you know, Bryce Harper with his one twelve OPS plus. Uh, I take no joy in reporting that. Yeah. Uh, he'll be coming back tomorrow for the first time since that first series. Uh, but he has not, you know, the Phillies are a beatable team. They are they are a team that we could pass. Um, but the Braves are really starting to get find their stride. And now with uh, Keiko coming, he'll be making his first start with the Braves on Friday against us. Yeah. Um, this is... Uh, this is the time to make some moves. Um, yeah, I mean, this is this is your, I don't want to say last best chance, but it's your, uh, it's your best chance. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you don't make it, it could be your last. Yeah. Uh, especially if, you know, I I think a, a four and three week obviously doesn't kill you. A three and four week probably also doesn't kill you. Uh, it, but anything worse than that, you're really digging yourself a deep hole. Yeah. Uh, and so the. The matchups for this week, just to go over them, uh, we've got um, obviously Corbin and Arietta tomorrow, uh, Eflin versus Fetty on Tuesday, then Wednesday it's Scherzer versus, um, as we wait for this to load, it's going to be Scherzer and, I guess it hasn't been announced, uh, nope, Scherzer and Pavetta. And the Nats have hit Pavetta very well. So that's a game that's almost must win. Uh, Pavetta has an ERA well over 10 against the Nationals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Strasburg Thursday, versus Strasburg Nola. Nola. Yep. And hopefully Strasburg will be able to move past you know, the start yesterday. It was a poor start. Yeah. It happens. I mean, uh, the good thing was his fastball velocity was there. It wasn't, you know, it was just a clunker. Well, four home runs. I mean, we got to talk about that. Yeah, this ball. was next to the ball. I mean, this whole series. The ball's flying out the park. I mean, today, four home runs for the Nats. Yeah. Um, Ketel Marte had... Ketel Marte has 20 home runs now. That's insane. Eduardo Escobar is 18. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just... 
the ball is flying out of the ballpark. And, uh, I, you know, to move on to sort of our next topic, uh, if you were on Twitter, uh, you, you may have noticed, I guess even if you weren't on Twitter, uh, Travis Sawchick and Ben Lindbergh came out with a new book uh, in which they sort of discuss the new ways that hitters are adapting, uh, well, hitters and pitchers both, but the, the whole concept of the book is a discussion of how the use of technology is improving player play. Uh, and, you know, they, they give a lot of credit to players for using the technology to make adjustments. Uh, and specifically, they give sort of, there's been this myth since the dawn of StatCast that we're in the midst of a launch angle revolution uh, and that hitters are hitting more home runs in part because of the ball. And, and you know, to give Lindbergh and Sajic some credit, they're not suggesting that the ball isn't juiced, which it clearly is. Mm -hmm. uh, but they're also saying that hitters deserve some credit for uh, making adjustments and hitting more fly balls. And the truth is... Uh, that really has not been happening. I mean, it, you see a small uptick in the number of fly balls uh, over the past six years since the sort of beginning of the StatCast era. Uh, you know, fly ball rate in 2014 was 34.4%. This year, it's 35.8%. Uh, you're also seeing a small uptick in line drives, and ground balls have dropped by about 2%, which... Isn't nothing. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, over that large of a sample, that's significant. Uh, but uh, obviously, the more significant thing is that home runs to fly balls, uh, you know, the number of balls that are going out of the ballpark that are hitting the air, uh, in 2014 was 9.5%. Uh, this year, it's the highest it will have ever been. It's 14.9%. Uh, I mean, even in 2017, <laughs> It was 13.7. This is, uh, you know, juice ball back with a vengeance after it dropped off a little bit last year. Uh, I mean, it's, the ball is just flying. Uh, and I think the most illustrative way to make this point, uh, to prove that, you know, it's not just that fly balls are being hit more. It's that when they are hit, you know they're they're going farther and more damage is being done. In 2014, the league-wide batting average on fly balls uh, was 197. The league-wide slugging percentage was 575. Uh, so two out of every ten fly balls was a hit. This year, uh, the League-wide batting average on fly balls as of Saturday night was 300. Uh, and the league-wide slugging percentage was 959. Basically, uh, if you hit a fly ball this year, you are turning into the greatest hitter of all time. I mean, it's a 1251 OPS on fly balls. Uh, and, I mean, yes, there is some... Sort of, I mean, the problem here is that, yes, there is some sense of a, uh, a positive feedback loop, as I call it, where if you get rewarded for hitting my, more fly balls, you'll hit more fly balls, and therefore, 
there will be more fly balls, and then you'll have more success on fly balls. Uh, but it's mostly not that. It's mostly that just, you know, there's a slight uptick in the number of fly balls, but, you know, far more significant is that there is way more damage being done on fly balls. Uh, and, you know, a launch angle revolution would probably show out more in the data. It just, it doesn't seem like that's what's going on here. It seems like the ball, you know, is just, it's juiced. Uh, and, and, you know, not to take away credit from the, the hitters for making adjustments or using technology or using StatCast or whatever, uh, you know, and obviously that's not my area of expertise, but, I mean, you got to say 90% of the credit goes to the ball. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm not so critical of Dinger Ball, you know, as far as it goes. I'm not one of those people who, you know, there was this big hand-wringing article that came out from Ken Rosenthal over uh, the week that was talking about, you know, how the fly ball revolution is is ruining baseball. I think that if you unjuice the fly ball, uh, or the ball, excuse me, uh, and home runs to fly balls went back to 2014 levels. I mean, we've seen an increase in strikeouts of, uh, you know, about one strikeout per nine inning, uh, strikeout and a half per nine since the 2014 season. We've seen uh, a, an increase in, or a decrease in BABIP, you know, imperceptibly. We, we see a lot fewer hits. We see an increase in fastball velocity of about a mile an hour over the five-year period. Uh, baseball, without the juiced ball and, and with nothing else fixed, would be ungodly boring. But still, I mean, I, I think we need to identify the right culprit so that we can adjust the game to you know whatever, whatever ideal game we want to see. Yeah, um, just a few things to point out uh, about people hitting a godly number of home runs. Uh, so we have 50, almost about 49 players this year who have hit already through June 16th, 15 or more home runs. These are people like Tommy Listella, who coming into this year had eight career home runs. Renato Nunez from the Orioles, who I'm sure most people didn't even know who that was. I barely do. I only know him because he has 15 home runs, 16 home runs this year. Max Kepler, whose career high was 20 before this season, already has 17. Um, you're just seeing guys like, you know, again, we talked about um, Ketel Marte having 20 home runs. It, it's, you know, the, one of the big takeaways from Rosenthal's piece this week was that it's it's making stats irrelevant, like making home run stats, you know, skewing them, which was his big problem with steroid era. Um, and yeah, there I get that argument. It's it's weird seeing guys like Ketel Marte, who broke his career high in home runs already by six this year, um, you know, doing things like this, being the next big sluggers. And just to comment, so you said that there were forty nine players who have hit mm-hmm. uh, fifteen home runs. That's a pace for thirty five home runs. So there are forty nine players currently on a thirty five home run pace. That's a lot of players. Yeah, um, it's it's you know. 
I don't know if these are even updated right today. There might be even more because I know Pence Homer, Hunter Pence Homer today. Uh, it's just weird. It's weird. It's it doesn't seem like it's right. I mean, even in that, the that's how I felt in 2017. Yeah. I let it get to me. But at this point, I don't. You know, I'm I'm not stressing about the the records and like you know I'm just thinking about less so than the historical record. I'm thinking more about the aesthetics of the game and the game I'd like to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's annoying to see all these home runs, but you just got to keep in mind what would happen to the game if the home runs weren't there. Yeah, and it'd be five balls to the track and nothing else in play. Exactly. So you know. I mean, maybe if if nothing else changed organically, you would see more slap hitters. Yeah. Because you wouldn't be rewarded for fly balls nearly mm-hmm. as much. But I mean, and you've seen in this day and age, you've seen slap hitters become power hitters. Ketel Marte, Tommy Listella. Yeah. Uh, but I, I I don't know. I yeah. mean, yeah, hitters make adjustments, but you've got to do something if you're going to unjuice the ball. You've got to figure out a way to get fastball velocity back to a reasonable mile an hour. Uh, I mean, I don't even know how you do that. Uh, you know, there's this conception that maybe if you widened the zone, that would happen, but I don't believe that would be the consequence. Uh, you know, there's another idea that if you increase the pace of play, uh, that naturally the fastball velocity will go back down because. Pitchers won't get the time to load up between every pitch, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, it's funny though you say that. Uh, everyone hitting home runs. Yeah. Bryce and, Harper only has twelve. Ha. <laughs> um, but we're not I salty. Take, I take no pleasure in reporting this. <laughs> anyway, but it's interesting you're talking about reducing fastball velocity because something I noticed this week was that a lot, you know, looking at the leaders in ERA, you know, the person who leads ERA this year is Hyunjin Ryu. And he's not known as a fast, uh, fast, you know, fast thrower. And it had me thinking, you know, what's up with, you know, fastball velocity this year. Uh, so I looked through the leaders of uh, the top ten leaders in ERA this year, um, and half of them of the top ten were in the bottom half of all pitchers in fastball velocity. You had Ryu, who's seventieth on the list. Um, Jake Odorizzi's forty-first. Uh, and he's fourth in ERA this year. Uh, Zach Davies is 80th on the list, and he's seventh in ERA. Uh, Mike Miner is 42nd on the list. He's eighth on the, in ERA, and Zach and Zach Ranky is 78th in fastball velocity, and he's ninth in ERA. So it's just interesting to see all of a sudden, you know, a lot of people starting to go off against the normal the to- the tide uh, of fastball velocity. I'm, I'm wondering if we're going to start seeing a lot more pitchers with the slower velocity come and and be successful in the league. I mean, it's it's an example of zigging when everyone else is zagging. I mean, obviously the guys that that Johnny mentioned uh, don't have the world's greatest peripherals. The, the slower throwing guys, uh, Ryu is I think in a, beating his peripherals by a run and a half. I mean his peripherals are still very good, but uh, you know he's beating his FIP by a run and a half uh, because his ERA is just so ungodly low. Yeah, Ryu's got a one three six ERA, two six five FIP, so almost right. double. 
Right. Um, and uh, another guy that Johnny mentioned was Jake Odorizzi, who actually uh, has an excellent fit. I mean, he's he's been legit. Uh, yeah. And a lot of that for him has come, ironically enough, through the suppression of home runs. He, uh, as Johnny found out, is allowing a league-high uh, fly ball rate, but a very low fly ball, home run to fly ball rate, 6.6, which in, in this environment is... Third very, best. very low. It's their best in the league. Yeah. So um, you do have guys with, you know, Granke's got a you know, 0.6 higher FIP than ERA. Zach Davies got almost a two-run higher FIP to ERA. And the truth is, uh, I mean, Davies isn't striking out anyway. He's got a 5.65 K per night. It's, see, the thing is that in this day and age, there was a reliable way about 15 years ago. Uh, to beat your peripherals, and that was by being a fly ball pitcher. Uh, but because fly balls had a much lower batting average on balls in play than other contact, so if you could get fly balls, keep them in the ballpark, that was a way to reliably beat your FIP. Uh, that was the Matt Cain effect. But since fly balls no longer have a much lower batting average on balls in play, uh, that doesn't really work anymore. I mean, the interesting thing about the fly ball thing is the second highest fly ball rate this year is Ronaldo Lopez, who has the worst ERA of qualified starters. Wow. And number three is Justin Verlander. Yeah. So, so I mean, it's it's not it's not a reliable met- metric uh, fly ball rate. I mean, there's there's no such thing really as a fly ball pitcher anymore. Mm-hmm. Just because if you're a fly ball pitcher in this run environment, you're dead. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's. It's hard to say what kind of pitching profile really works in this era. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at someone like Max Scherzer, who is practically designed for this era. Yeah. Uh, tons of high fastballs, sliders off the plate. You know, those are pretty much the two pitches that uh, you know, no one in this run environment is primed to hit. You know, he added a cutter in, which is another, you know, the, the sort of swing up swing. Uh the cutter inside is supposed to neutralize that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's really, you know, uh, someone uh, once called him the perfect pitcher for his generation. But I, I don't know about that. I think he would thrive in any generation because I think he'd be able to make adjustments because that's what he does so well. So I saw an interesting uh, poll yesterday. I think it was Pitching Ninja who put it out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, who has the filthiest stuff? So the first poll he asked was, who's the best pitcher of this generation, Kershaw, right. Verlander, or Scherzer? I voted for Kershaw, and I still hold by that. I, I'd say Verlander. Verlander? Mm-hmm. As uh, much as I love Scherzer. Yeah, I would. I know none of us say Kershaw, uh, Scherzer. But um, who had the filthiest stuff of those three of them? I said Scherzer. Yes. I think, you know, well, Kershaw's curveball is incredible. Kershaw's curveball is incredible. And he's still doing it this and year. Verlander with, had the best fastball velocity of the three. Yeah, but not that's not filth. That's no. gas. But Kershaw... Is there a difference between filth and gas? Yeah, I think okay. there's a difference. Okay. Fast is, gas is velocity. You know, if you could blow it by a guy, I mean, I mean Scherzer could still hit 97. Yeah, and his fast <laughs> velocity is the highest of his career at age 35 because he's some sort of cyborg. Yeah, but... um. I think the difference. I mean, Kershaw's got a great curveball, and he's still succeeding this year. You know, he hasn't gone past the sixth inning this year, which really, yeah. I thought he could have sworn he went seventh at some point. It might be the seventh. I don't know. I saw a tweet about it today. 
read it quickly. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's but, the kind of robust fact-checking that we do on this program. But he's not going deep in games, to the point. Um, he's And it's, you know, he's never going to be the same pitcher he was, but he's still doing very well this year. I mean, his fastball velocity is down to about 90 and a half. Um, yep. I mean, his ERA is a little over three, so he's yeah. been he's been good. He hasn't been Kershaw, Kershaw, but but he's still you know a great pitcher. You could throw every five day, oh every five days, right? Um, but you know, I don't think off air we've definitely talked about him a lot, but I don't think we've on air we've talked about how goddamn good Max Scherzer is. He's amazing. He is so good. So we were I was at the game. We were both at the game on Friday, right? And you know, you're watching him. And all of a sudden, he's at 10 strikeouts. Right. And you don't even realize he's at 10 strikeouts. It's just, you know, he's on pace to win another Cy Young this year. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd say it's probably between him, Ryu, and Granky at this point. And I still um, give him the edge. He's got the strikeouts. He's, he's got, yeah, he's you know. pacing the world in strikeouts. He's pacing the world in F war for what that's worth. Mm-hmm. I mean, doesn't he doesn't have, have the many wins, wins yeah. because every single start he has that hasn't been a decision has been a loss, mm-hmm. which. I don't even know how you do that. It's the bullpen. That's uh, how you do it. Ah, the bullpen. <laughs> Which has been good. Yeah. I mean, it's been the best. Well, I don't know about any, after these two days. but Right. But it but had been. Coming into Saturday, it was the best ERA in June. It had the best ERA of any bullpen in June. Yep. But um, I think, yeah, it, it, he, there was you know, an article today that Max Scherzer could be the last 3,000 strikeout pitcher. Nope. Which, I mean, I don't know who else would do it currently. <sighs> I mean – of current pitchers, I mean, I have no idea. I, I think you're not going to see a reversal of the trend towards wins because I don't no think more you're going to win, guys. I don't think you're going to see a bounce back in the number of, uh, you know, innings pitched for a start. I just I don't think that's the way the game is going. But you know, I have no idea what the strikeout environment is going to look like in five years. Could be that like. The league averages 11Ks per nine. I mean, the strikeout environment's higher than it ever has been. Right. Currently, and you're already seeing guys who, you know, you don't know. You know, the closest guy he uh, – it was Todd Dybess who wrote the piece, and he hypothesized that Trevor Bauer is the closest guy at age 28 to doing this. Because, like, guys up there, and, like, Lester's close, but he's not going to get it. He's 35. Um, who else did he say? He said Hamels is close, but he's not going to get it. Granky's closest, but they're not going to get it. Insurers is most likely going to get it, as he's he'll probably get it sometime next August. Um, but it, I don't know. Yeah, it's true. I mean, he's at what nearly twenty six hundred right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he could do that by August. Yeah, I just don't know um, who would do it. And I mean, yeah, you don't know what's going to happen ten years now in baseball. But you know, of the current crop of pitchers, you're going to see a gap in the three thousand strikeout guys. Maybe um, I, I don't know. I mean. I don't want to make predictions. I I would say that 300 win. I feel pretty confident that the 300 win guy is dead. But uh, it's so interesting that that was such used to be such a staple of a Hall of Fame pitcher. Yeah, that you gotta get to that 300 well, win. That's the problem is that you know the voters haven't really adjusted to the the new win environment mm-hmm. or you know the new frankly the new war environment for pitchers because they're not going as long. Yeah. Uh, so you know you might have to drop. The you know a, a sixty win player would probably have to be a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Like I don't see any argument for keeping Sabathi out of the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you, we you got, we've had that episode yeah. before. Sabathia, Granky, <laughs> I think all have to go. What about Hamels? Hamels is very close. Lester. 
I think Hamels, the difference with Hamels and maybe Lester, with Hamels especially, though, is that he was never really the best pitcher in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, same, I mean, Lester finished second in the Cy Young voting. Yeah. Uh, so he's done that. Uh, I don't think he really had a peak where he was the best pitcher in baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you got to give it to Max Scherzer. It's what makes him sort of even with sort of, I, I don't want to say a short peak, but you know his peak's only really been from 2013 to this no. year. But for the last three or four years, he's been undisputably the, the best pitcher in baseball over that time period. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously in, in 18, DeGrom was better than he was. Uh, in 15, you had still Arietta. Kershaw, still Arietta, uh still Granky. But, uh, I mean, it, it's just he has had a five-year stretch where he's probably been the best pitcher in baseball over that stretch. Mm-hmm. And he's got the hardware. So, I mean, he's pretty much he's a Hall of Famer, a Hall of Famer yeah. even if he retired tomorrow. Yeah. But I hope he doesn't do that. Please don't, Max. Yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah, so that's it for us. Um, big week for us. Hopefully next week will be a happy podcast. Yep. Uh, if not, then we'll have a lot to talk about. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to another really sad one. So yeah. hopefully five and two, maybe even better. Five or two or bust. Yep. All right. Well, we'll see you next week. All right. Bye-bye.